the August 25th edition of the PFF forecast. We have an exquisite show today because uh, we've got some news to talk about. We've got Sony Michelle on the move, uh, Patriots trading him to the Rams. We're going to talk about that a little bit from a team building and a draft st- standpoint. We're going to talk a little Mac Jones, Cam Newton, a um, little development over the past couple of days, what that means for the Patriots how you might bet them uh, accordingly. And then Teddy Bridgewater, now officially QB1 in Denver, what that means uh, about their win total, about them week one, what that means about maybe the future of the Denver Broncos. We'll wrap it up. We've got college football this weekend. Uh, We're going to talk about what you should bet there, a little preseason action as well. Let's wrap. So I have to have to start off with this because um, I've given you some flack over over our time together. You know, oh, you you showed up a little disheveled. Or you're not putting on the collared shirt for me. You have gone to the next level because you, sir, have gone and said, you know what? I'm not just going to rock the collared shirt. I am going to get the glasses. I'm going to throw them away. And I'm going to join my friend, George, my dear friend, George, in the wonderful land of contact lens wearing. Congratulations, buddy. Rejoin. Yesterday was the, so not only, this is funny. So yesterday I took a bike ride and I wore sunglasses because I could wear them. Yeah, you know, I'm too like, I'm of course not the kind of guy to get prescription sunglasses. You know this. Or transition so, lenses, right? <laughs> yeah, like I'm just, I'm barely wearing glasses at this right. point. Right. But uh, yeah, I hadn't, um, 2015, I got, I think it was, and I'm not going to wear these all the time, but I used to wear contacts like every day. And then I decided in like 2014, 2015, just to not anymore. And then like, mm-hmm. it, and then the last time I got glasses out, the, the woman asked me if I wanted contacts. And I said, you know, I, I kind of thought about it. And then this time I, I got it. Um, driving home with, with my eyes dilated with something else. Um, but yeah, and, I, and then I, so I wore, I wore sunglasses <laughs> on my bike ride. Right I, I, I just got to say the first time quick. in like seven years I wore sunglasses. It was a, it was a magical experience not to have to squint all the time. I was going to say driving with you anywhere is an experience driving with you. Your eyes dilated must be a, like going on the scariest ride at any theme park. Um, maybe one of the janky theme parks, uh, that you find out there. Um, I'm glad that you discovered sunglasses that um, that makes me really happy. Um, Let's uh, let me give you, I'll just give you a couple of quick tips because you know, maybe you're new to to contact wearing. Um, Yeah. It's important to take them out at night. Don't forget that. Um, That was never my problem. My sister, however, would sleep in hers and would have the, the gnarliest infections in her eye. Oh my God. Uh, I know that my my dad listens to the show. I'm pretty sure he can attest. I will say this is, this is a, again, now that I'm like grown up and I have a, I I think an, an adult understanding of risk. Hmm. my my parents offered to pay for LASIK after I graduated from college and I went and through the whole no. shebang I wore my glasses for two weeks uh, I got the puffs in the eyes all this stuff I chickened out 
And my dad was one of the first people I think to ever get LASIK in like 99 or 2000 or something has, has done wonderful with it. But I will say my PhD advisor did have a failed LASIK. And like, I think he's like somewhat blind in one eye. And of course, dumb me, like, you know, way back before, you know, we had skin in the game all the time. I was sort of like, oh, like I've chickened out because of like the risk was non-zero, even mm -hmm. though the risk is basically zero you know th those individual experiences are, are certainly not trivial but i wish uh, i would have got lasik that's what i'm saying i wish i would have yeah. gotten it and okay like yeah i'm, I'm glad yeah I, I wish i would have taken uh free money as well that would have been fantastic uh i had one other thing to say which was oh that was this um don't uh if you're trying to make a flight this is a little tip here trying to make a flight on time don't take one of the big bottles of contact solution with yeah. you through TSA. They, they insist on, on testing it every freaking time. Okay, let's go to some football here. So wake up this morning to a little gift, a little gift here. I'm in, I'm in California right now. And uh, joining me in California is going to be former Patriots first round pick running back Sony Michelle, or as you call him, what'd you call him? Panasonic Michelle. Worst joke ever. Sorry. Um, they, they traded him to the Rams for a late round conditional draft pick. I believe it's a fifth or a sixth. Um, no, it's, it's a fifth and a sixth. Fifth and which, a sixth. I'm sorry. I'm reading that. Yeah. Out. A fifth but, and a sixth. Amazing return on investment for a first round running back. Um, the, the Rams. Also, a terrible thing to trade for this player, right? Because of a fifth and a sixth, the way that the curve goes, like they're saying, they're basically saying that they're trading the comp pick for that they're going to get for John Johnson, which is roughly going to be a fourth for mm -hmm. Sony Michelle. And they're saying it like proudly as if this is something to be like, and I know there's been a lot of ink spilled on the Rams this, this off season, mm -hmm. trying to make them look smart. And like this one, I think I would have put the pen back in the, in the, in the glass because like, the, I, I don't get it. I, I don't understand trading actual capital for a player who's going to be who is going to be cut in all likelihood in a in a little bit of time like it doesn't make any sense to me and then to explain it as look it, it was a trade like we gave up a really good safety for this like running back who's been worth 0.23 war in three years it's actually a lot higher than i thought it would be but it's, yeah well, you know he played in some playoff games that helps he did um, play in some playoff games i you know, it's interesting to look at it from the Rams perspective um, and think about it that way, because I, I actually wanted to start at the beginning of the Sony Michelle um, docuseries, which is only three years ago. <laughs> um, he was drafted in in 2018. Um, and of course, that was the year that the Patriots won the Super Bowl. And I tweeted out this morning something along the lines of like, Let's not forget that when Bill Belichick took a first uh, a running back in the first round, he took him at pick 31, everyone started like falling all over themselves to rationalize taking a running back in the first round because Bill Belichick had done it. Um, and I was met with some real anger. Now, it didn't surprise me because Patriots fans are everywhere and Bill can do no wrong. Um, but I was reminded that he carried the new England Patriots to the Super Bowl that year. I don't know if you remember uh, Tom Brady, Tom Brady only managed a 91 PFF grade in 2018 had to be literally lifted on the shoulders of checks notes, 
the 20th ranked running back in the NFL en route to a Super Bowl victory against the Los Angeles Rams. Now, I have a couple of things I want to say about this. They scored, by the way, 13 points in that Super Bowl that Sonny Michelle carried them to. You remember actually the touchdown that won the game? Well, the touchdown that won the game. Yeah, I, I actually. Do you, remember, am, do you remember that drive? The one, yeah, the one that was, the one that seared into my brain is the touchdown by Rex Burkhead to win the AFC title game in overtime. No one remembers that one. Weird that you remember that one as a yeah. you know. Um, but what I thought was so interesting about that um, that Super Bowl was the Patriots won it because they just put random backs. I think it was was it Burkhead and um, James White. Uh, it was James White. It was a, one of them, I think, was a fullback. I think they put Devlin on the field for that. And, and I, I should have done more homework on this, but go back and watch it. Like what they did was they just they took advantage of the matching on defense and put all those guys that ran them five wide. And it was amazing. And they marched down the field. So Michelle had nothing you know, to do with that. Um, but um, but the reason I think there's two really interesting things here. The first is let's go back to that draft for a hot second and take a look at the players picked in, in that vicinity. And I think it's fascinating because guess who was picked? Guess who was available? Pick 31 was the New England Patriots um, choice. At pick number 32, the Baltimore Ravens traded up to select Lamar Jackson. Now, yeah. I'm not saying that the Patriots should have taken Lamar Jackson. I don't know that that would have been a terrible pick <laughs> by them. Mm -hmm. That would have been one hell of a fascinating thing for the Patriots to have taken. But it underscores the point, Eric, that there is value to be had in the first round. And it is not to be had at running back. You march a couple of picks past Sony Michelle. You have Austin Corbett, offensive tackle, Will Hernandez, guard. Those were selected by the Browns uh, and the Giants. The Browns then took Nick Chubb. Sonny Michelle's teammate, who actually has been the most valuable running back uh, over the uh, from that draft class. Darius Leonard was then selected at, at pick 36. The Colts then took Braden Smith. The Bucks then took Ronald Jones. And a few picks later, the Denver Broncos took Cortland Sutton. So you could have basically thrown a dart at the next 10 picks, and the Patriots could have gotten a player much, much more valuable than, than Sonny Michelle, even if they had selected a running back. Um, and, and, you know, ended up with Nick Chubb. I think the point here is that it wasn't that it was Sony Michelle that was the running back that carried them to a Super Bowl, but rather that any running back that you put in a good offense is going to look good is my last point on this. I know I've been rambling. The team they faced in that Super Bowl is the Los Angeles Rams. The Los Angeles Rams most efficient running back that year was CJ Anderson off the couch. Yeah. I mean, whew. that was my rant. Yeah, I mean, okay, so I agree. And like the thing that makes this even more sad is the Baltimore Ravens who had manipulated. Remember that draft? We it was our first draft show together, and it was the Packers absolutely like donkey punched the league with trades and mm -hmm. ended up with Jair Alexander and an extra first round pick because yeah. the New Orleans Saints couldn't help themselves and needed Marcus Davenport. And of course, Davenport's going to be good, but it took a while and it costs a lot and, and all this stuff. But like people in front of the Patriots made mistakes, including, by the way, the Ravens, who we almost always give praise to. And not to say that this is a mistake, but it's sort of like, you know, a non-premium position at pick 25, who's not even their best player there. They took Hayden Hurst at 25. We like the Ridley pick for Atlanta. 
Seattle takes Rashad Penny at 27. Like literally every one of these teams is gifting you value. The the Pittsburgh Steelers took Terrell Edmonds at 28, a guy like literally this was the Darius Hayward Bay, um, Marvin, like Mitchell draft, Mike Mitchell draft pick for the Steelers. Taven Bryan goes to Jacksonville. Mike Hughes goes to Minnesota. There's like a number of picks and, you know, Mike Hughes is a fine pick, but like it wasn't like these teams were taking valuable guys in front of the Pats and they're like, and the egg timer goes off. I'm like, oh shit. Like we don't have anybody left. It's like, it was, they're really taking like pick they're They have a chance at like the 27th best player in the draft at 31 and, you know, and so forth. And they go ahead and go with Michelle. And again, like, I'm not sitting here saying like, we've done this before. And we, you know, 2020, we said, oh, what were the Chiefs thinking? Oh, man. Oh, they do have a, they are a Super Bowl team, I guess, you know, they can mm-hmm. spare this, you know, the Ravens last year with Queen and um, uh, their running back guy, J.K. Dobbins, like, well, they're a really good team, they can spare this. And the fact of the matter is, none of these teams can spare this. None of them. Shit happens. And you're stuck holding the egg timer with a, with a, wow, it'd be really nice to have that pick 31 back. You know, yeah. it would be really nice if the Chiefs took Denzel Mims instead of uh, <laughs> Clyde Edwards-Alaire. It'd be really nice if the Ravens took some, you know, a wide receiver last year, any one of the pick of the litter instead of a linebacker. And it's, again, these draft picks are valuable. And when you spend them on non-premium positions, we're not even getting, we haven't even gotten to the point where Michelle was good enough where they have to sign him to a big deal a la Nick Chubb. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. This is the failure on the player, on the player's front that he's not even good enough to get the fifth year option, let alone, you know, the other risk, which is that he's going to cost big money if he is good. And, and so I don't know, like it, it's a, it's a rough one. And, and now they, to their credit, have transferred this risk. At a cost over to, over to the Rams over to the Rams who are lever. I mean, think about this. If I was homeless and cold, I would just lay draft picks on the ground for the Rams to burn mm-hmm. and, and make a fire for me because like, that's all they do. It's just like, they light these draft picks on fire. And I just like, it's going to come back to them. Isn't it? Like, it's going to come back to them when like their only young talent is like third wide receiver Tutu Atwell or, you know, decent safety, but kind of exposed when John Johnson's not there, uh, Fuller, right? Like um, Jordan Fuller. It, like, it, I don't know, man. I, I think that pointing out the Rams side of this is really important. I was so focused on the Patriots component, but, I, you know, if I were, I, I'm thinking about the Rams reasoning here, which from what we understand is very much, trade picks for players that you know are good but this doesn't qualify there (laughs) like i think sony michelle is what i mean you know if you look at his pff grading over the last three years he's dead average if you look at yards after contact he's pretty much dead average like is he a good receiver of the football he's been average to below average in in all of his seasons so um why you would trade a pick for that player even in a year like it doesn't even fit the bill of we're going all in to win the super bowl how the hell does this help you win the super bowl i do not know you know go pick up 
CJ Anderson off, off the street. And like, mm-hmm. you haven't wasted that draft capital. The second thing, Eric, is this, like, we've both obviously thought, you know, I, I think both of us got into, you know, football, like analysis and using math and football. And like, we must've been interested. I know, you know, like we've talked about, you know, the team side of things, like working for a team. What the hell did, like, what is the message that you're sending? Are You should just cut like your scouting department. Like, like, what are you even doing at this point? Like, are you just saying that every player in the drafts is going to be ass? Do you like not think that you're like, that you should ever like make a selection? I, I It doesn't make sense to me. It's weird. Yeah, I don't think that these moves are reflective of everybody in that building not being sharp. I think it, I think that the fact of the matter is that for a lot of these teams, and we get to meet with everyone, we sort of know the processes that a lot of the teams undergo. There are teams, so I, I sort of view like inside of teams, you have evaluators, you have decision makers, right? And then you have people that allocate the the resources, right? The owners, right? And I think a lot of times the decision makers try to also be evaluators. I think that that's, that actually happens more often, right? And I think in, in many cases, the evaluators are doing a good job. And the fact of the matter is their job isn't, I'm not saying isn't that hard, but like their job they don't always have to be right. The, the, mm-hmm. the point of having a ton of evaluators is, is building a consensus, is building a wisdom of the crowd situation. But we all know that when this is, you know, this is true in our political system. This is true for a lot of companies. But like the best decisions are made when it is a combination of a bunch of independent decision makers. And those independent decision makers can be scouts. They can be analytics people, all of whom can be extremely competent. But when the decision maker tries to act as an evaluator and puts their thumb on the scale, almost all of that is eliminated. And I think that there are more than just a few teams for which that is true. And I think that the smart teams try to avoid that at all costs. And to me, that is, that's what we're seeing here. Like, I don't think that these decisions that the Rams have made are necessarily a reflection on any evaluators in the building or even some decision makers in the building who are just being overridden. I think that this is a very, I think that these moves are, are, are sort of a small number of individuals acting in desperation. Yeah. I, I think that um, I think it's fair and it's interesting to speculate on. I'm sure there's a lot of different ways to, um, to like kind of hypothesize about that. Um, before we move further on, if you want to read more or dig into more about any of this stuff, um, head to pff.com. Uh, a lot of great content. There's articles up there, obviously, on the Sony Michelle situation um, and on the situations that we're going to talk about here in, in just a second, plus all of the great um, tools and premium content that you need, you need to have if you are trying to, uh, to play fantasy football if you're going to bet this season and you can get it for 30% off with promo code KICKOFF30. Um, here are a few of the things that I use personally most most often. I have been leveraging all of the great fantasy content, Nathan Yonke, Ian Hartitz, uh, Dwayne McFarland, who just joined us. I, I, I All you have to do is click on the draft kit, read their content and their strategy and, and walk into the draft. That's all you've got to do. And then in season, obviously the projections, the player rankings, um, 
and the player props tool, which comes with an elite subscription, a little more expensive, but definitely worth it because you can use it every freaking game. Plus the betting dashboards, college football is coming up. Those are on there. Those are live on the site. Um, so it can be all yours for as low as just $7 with promo code KICKOFF30 when you go get a PFF subscription at pff.com. Also, Fantrax rhymes with anthrax. Not as deadly. Um, no, and deadly. no, deadly for your competition. Let's just say that. Silent, but deadly for your competition. They need to hire you, by the way. Um, it's the best place to host your fantasy leagues. They have all of this customization. Um, I think my personal favorites are the fact that you can do multi-team trades easily. I always hear people in my leagues trying to get those to, to happen, and they never do because not supported. Uh, player salaries and contract options. You have a keeper league. If you don't, you should try one. Promo code PFF at Fantrax.com slash PFF for a chance to win a trip to any regular season game, uh, plus $6,000 to bet on it, which is fucking awesome. Last but not least, the NFL is finally back. And DraftKings is here to help you out. Use promo code PFF when you deposit for the first time at DraftKings and then receive $200 in free bets by betting just $1 on an NFL game during the first week of the regular season. It's a great intro offer. It gets you $200. We'll have all of the betting content that you could possibly want on pff.com to help you um, get this $200 of free bets put in the right place. Um, plus, they have a ton of um, promotional odds, um, same game parlays, which are cool. because There's a lot of correlated stuff there. Um, so head to DraftKings Sportsbook right now. Use promo code PFF when you sign up. Get those $200 worth of free bets. It's for a limited time. It's for first-time depositors. Uh, official sportsbook and betting partner of the NFL is what DraftKings is. So why would you go anywhere else? You must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania only. New customers uh, are eligible. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook. For details, better gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana. 1-800-9-WITH-IT. I, for one, speaking of DraftKings, extremely excited about this weekend's very small three-game college dfs slate um mm. if you are new to college dfs this is a great way to get started because the problem is small you only have to study six teams etc um and you know it's not available in every state um but neither is sports betting so um you know that that is a, a fun way if you don't want to bet on the games this weekend because the numbers are pounded into place at this point mm -hmm. uh that that is a a fun one you get to watch the hawaii rainbow warriors face our UCLA Bruins. The, we'll get to college here in just a second. Let's do a little Mac Jones, um, Cam Newton stuff here. We Doug Kied, by the way, if you want to dig into the situation, go to pff.com. Doug Kied just published a piece um, on Mac Jones and the Cam Newton competition. He's been at Patriots camp for a while. He's our newest um, NFL reporter, one of our new NFL reporters. He used to cover the Patriots beat. So he has a keen eye on this. He called this out actually a couple weeks ago that this was really – um, a competition and Mac Jones has done nothing but earn the best PFF grade in the preseason for whatever the hell that is worth. And he has looked uh, quite good as well. I should add, let's set the table here though, right now on DraftKings, um, Mac Jones to take the Patriots first snap um, is uh, yes. Plus two no is minus three thirty. Cam Newton um, had a COVID um, testing uh, butt fumble for lack of a better term. And apparently people are frustrated with it. What do you make of what's your biggest takeaway from this situation? Is it Mac Jones related? Is Cam Newton related? What is it? It, it to me really, I, I, 
and again, like this is true. Like people say we're not fair. This is true about Lamar. This is true about Kirk Cousins. This is true about Cam Newton. And it's true about any player who does not have the vaccine. I do not understand how if you've read the protocols and you and you are in a competition, if you're Josh Allen, do do whatever you want. Because if you sit sit out an indeterminate amount of days, Mitchell Trubisky, as well as he played against the Bears, is not taking your spot, right? Um, in Lamar, it's the same thing for Lamar, although Lamar has a lot to prove this year, given it's a contract year. So it makes it, I think, all the more dumb that he is not vaccinated. For Cam Newton, I don't get it. You had COVID last year. <laughs> it, you actually, I watched back that Seattle game. He was amazing in that game. Like, mm-hmm. I don't understand. Like, he derailed what could have been a pretty good season for him in a bounce back year by getting contracting a virus. And, and then, you know, we come back here and like, you know, we are basically where we were a season ago, as far as COVID is concerned. I know we have a vaccine, but like, you know, we still have as many cases, like not being able to read the fact that they drafted your replacement. You currently are in first place, but giving Mac Jones any sort of daylight is kind of, it could be the end of your starting career in the NFL. Like, I don't get that. And to me, that that just shows, I think, kind of a lack of understanding that maybe just I I, I don't want to bet on. And, and and conversely, when I look at Mac Jones, somebody who's like done all the right things, he's been like a great teammate to Cam from what it sounds like. He's he seems like an affable dude who has, you know, taken on the basically being shitted on the whole draft season. And I don't know. He's kind of a guy I want to root for now. Like, and, and so like, why would you put yourself in that situation if you're camp? Like that to me is so weird. And, and I don't get it. Um, I, I gotta be honest with you. I would bet Mac Jones right now. Um, Do you think Belichick is tolerant of any of this shit? Here's here. <laughs> No, no. <laughs> the guy wants to win so badly. Here's the other he just thing. watched Brady win the Super Bowl. Do you think the guy wants to deal with any of this? Here's the other thing that I think is you highlighted there, but I just got to say it again. Cam Newton is not a, a he's not really an above average quarterback at this point in his career. Like, I don't, I don't get it. And there's a lot of things with Cam that. You know, he, he has a really prominent presence on, on social media. He puts a lot of time into, you know, his fashion, the, 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 you know, his, his superstardom is important to him, but from a football standpoint, his decline, you know, has been okay. Well, his, his athleticism has declined. He has not improved as a passer, right? we have seen like Brady, for example, has continued to improve and work on, you know, the way that he throws the football. He's, his accuracy is only continuing to brew. And I'm only comparing them because they were, you know, in the same place, but I don't know. I, I think that's something that Belichick is looking for, you know, well, and it's contrast. gotta be frustrating yeah. to see a guy come in, be given an opportunity and continue. Now he's played decently in the preseason. The thing is with Cam Newton, how much does the preseason matter? And really, to me, this situation would outshine any of the good play that he's had in the preseason. He's been, he's, you know, at an 82 PFF grade. Um, but, man, it's like, 
Mac Jones has played better. You picked him in the first round. I, I don't see any reason right now, even if Cam Newton, even if Cam Newton, let me put it this way. Even if Cam Newton didn't have this mess up, I'd start Mac Jones. So now that this has happened, like, duh, I'm starting Mac Jones. Yeah. Let me bring up a couple of things. I, I agree with you. And the money, the people are like, well, the money's already been spent. So you start the better guy. No, actually, right. If you think both guys are equally good, you, if Cam goes and balls out, he goes back to the table immediately for more money, right? Mm -hmm. That is a risk. Matt Jones is on cost control for the team for four years and then a fifth-year option. There is also risk that you are mitigating by playing Mac Jones, which is if your quarterback goes out and gets you a 13-win season, you don't even have to consider paying him more, right? And I know that that's like, we're not trying to be anti-labor or whatever, but those are the actual realities of the situation, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a, an additional risk you forego by playing a rookie versus playing a veteran. And, and again, that's like, you know, I, the second thing I wanted to bring up was look at the contrast between him and another former number one overall pick, Jameis Winston, right? And I don't and I don't want to be like pro as too pro Jameis here. Yeah, I know of his past and all that kind of stuff, but you're looking at a guy who was also shitted on like all of last year, mm-hmm. um, and a guy who's bought into the entire process, including you know vaccines and all this kind of stuff, and is is basically and has had to deal with being in a quarterback competition with a guy who frankly sucks at quarterback, right? And has taken the whole thing in stride, has, has dotted every I and crossed every T and has has eliminated all doubt, in my opinion, to be, to be that starting quarterback. And the contrast between that player and Cam, to me, is, is, is highlighting sort of the reason why you start Mac Jones, because, because that, you know, because to me, it looks like the the starting quarterback job in New Orleans means everything to Jameis and the starting quarterback job in New England weirdly doesn't mean as much to Cam as it probably should. Yeah. We could have easily talked about Jameis here and and maybe let's close out this piece of the conversation and transition into the Broncos by looking at, at the win totals, um, you know, for, for these teams, you can go, by the way, to pff.com. Um, it's been updated with Teddy Bridgewater, um, our win totals tracker, which tracks all the win totals over the course of time, gives you, um, if you have a PFF Edge subscription, which you can get for 30% off, gives you all of our simulation results um, so that you can check those out along with with the current odds um, on DraftKings. So the Patriots right now, um, win total is nine and a half. The over is plus money, plus 105. Um I definitely, I definitely think that they should start Mac Jones. I still think the under is the play there. Um, if you're going to bet it, um, one way or the other. Um, and if you think about the saints and you look at, you know, in the, um, NFC South and you go, okay, the saints win total is nine and you go, okay, James Winston is now, you know, looks to be the starting quarterback there. I got to say, if I had to, let, if I had to use one of those quarterback situations, say, let me bet the over it's the saints. And it's not, it's not really close to me. Obviously I get that half, but also like the Jameis Sean Payton pairing a lot more exciting to me than the Mac Jones, Josh McDaniels pairing, even though I think it's clear cut that they should start him. Yeah. The, the, the thing with the saints and, you know, I think that the, there's obviously the risk that if Jameis blows up that they're going to have to pay him a lot of money. 
Um, mm -hmm. It's not there with Mac Jones. But I think for this particular year, I mean, Jameis led the Jameis averaged 8.2 yards per pass attempt in 2019. I know he threw a lot of interceptions, but he's always been a guy that's been in that seven and a half yards per attempt or more range. And until 2019, he threw a lot of interceptions, but not nearly as much as he did in 2019. Like there's so much talent there with Jameis that there's an upside factor that I, you know, I always thought that there was a chance Sean Pate would start Taysom, like just for the LOLs. But, you know, if Marquez Callaway can play as well as he did the other night, um, if Tr Adam Troutwine can be a solid tight end, um, and and Kamara obviously out of the backfield can be what he's always been, the offensive line is pretty damn good, George. And the defense, I was talking with uh, Bobby Aber, like their defense last year was great and deep. Now they're just like not as deep. Right. But there's still a defense full of pretty good players. Um, I, I'm under that. I'm on, I'm on the under. Um, I'm not thrilled about it, though. Like that's like that's where that that's how much the preseason has swayed me. I'm not going to be pursued. I'm not going to be I'm not going to be pushed to bet and over on a team by because of preseason. But I might be a little it might make me a little irrationally nervous. And that's what it does to me. We have to remember that last the Monday game was against Jacksonville. who's you know, probably not going to be very good. But they they have my attention. The Saints. Yes, I I concur with you one hundred percent. By the way, the team we're going to talk about next, the Denver Broncos, their win total opened at seven and a half. We bet over. Teddy Bridgewater has been named the starter. Their win total is now eight and a half. I feel I so let me let me say this. I think they made the wrong decision. Um, and the reasoning for that is very very simple. You have a roster that with the right quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, who is rumored to be in play, um, could win a Super Bowl. Teddy Bridgewater ain't winning you a Super Bowl. I, he could be, he could have a, a wonderful season. He is not winning you a Super Bowl, but he will probably keep you from being dramatically terrible, in which case you have a worse shot at getting a good quarterback next year. Um, Drew Locke, you do not know. You invested a lot of time in Drew Locke. And you should play Drew Locke and find out whether he can be Josh Allen or whether you need to move on. But if he does play poor enough for you to move on, you'll probably have a better draft pick. That said, if you bet the over at seven and a half, which we did, I feel fantastic today. I feel absolutely fantastic about Teddy Two Gloves, your boy, captaining the eight-win Denver Broncos. Yeah, this was always the thing that I imagined, you know, you know with Minnesota was – you know, Teddy on a modest Teddy on a rookie deal with a ready-made roster is a Super Bowl contender. The problem is he's not necessarily on a modest deal, right? If you look at the positions, um, Bridgewater was, you know, where's Teddy currently? You know, you're well, it's not as bad this year at eleven and a half million. So, like, that's okay. Um, you're right at the top of what a rookie quarterback would make. Um, you, you, of course, like can't build around that because if he plays well enough for you to make a deep playoff run, you're paying him, right? So there's 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 that aspect of it. Um, a couple of things that are different for me, though, now is like, I don't think Bridgewater's quite as, you know, he obviously, after missing multiple years, I don't think he has the upside at all. Um, the other thing is, you know, we've seen Pat Shermer, he's been hit or miss. I'm higher on him than most, but, you know, I still ha I have to see it a little bit there. And then it's this fact, like you're in the AFC West, right? All three quarterbacks are significantly better than Teddy Bridgewater is. 
and that and that just limits the upside, right? Like if you don't, if you're not in a position to have home games in January, you better have Tom Brady as your quarterback, right? Or you better have, you know, a guy that just gets hot at that time, like you know, Eli Man. Like we give Eli Manning shit, but his ceiling is pretty damn high. Um, you're not winning winning road playoff games with Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback, and you're very very likely not winning that division with Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback. So to me, you're going to be in that eight win range. And that's a terrible outcome for you, given that you're probably going to have to move on from him. And, you know, the alternative is, is a, is a really expensive veteran quarterback, but even if it's Aaron Rodgers, do we really think that Aaron Rodgers, his age next year is going to be worth 40 million bucks? Yeah, no, you make, you make a really good point. And this is another, uh, this is actually a place that I think people can find a lot of value on PFF.com our power ratings tool, which is about to actually get a lot better. Um, maybe tonight, actually, um, when you're listening to this podcast. But if you look at the points above replacement to the spread that quarterbacks are worth, number one guy, Patrick Mahomes, eight and a half. You then have Derek Carr, five. You then have Justin Herbert, who's ascending potentially at four and a half. Teddy Bridgewater is two points worse than Justin Herbert, who's four points worse than Patrick Mahomes. Like, what are we doing here? Like, do you get to hang a banner if you compete in a couple games with, with a couple of decent teams? No, no, no. You get to hang a banner if you can beat the Chiefs. And you ain't beating the Chiefs. You are just not beating the Chiefs. You haven't beat Kansas City since you won the Super Bowl. Like, and, and also, are you that, like, I, this sounds crazy, but I'm over on the Raiders this year. Like, I've, I've said that a number of times. Are you even better than the Raiders? And, and that's such a fascinating way to put it because on paper, they're better than the Raiders at every fucking position on the field, except, and, and maybe I'm forgetting, you know, one okay, running back. Sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. But like, they're better than the Raiders across the board, except for quarterback. But that's how important, I mean, you think about it, Derek Carr is worth two and a half points more than Teddy Bridgewater each time you step out on the field. That's a lot for other players to make up, even players as good as Justin Simmons, Cortland Sutton, Vaughn Miller, Jerry Judy. Vic Fangio is a defensive coordinator who's fantastic. It's honestly, it's sad, man. Like I, people will listen to this and maybe like, oh, you guys hate the Broncos or whatever. I, no, I bet the over on the Broncos. I, I actually really like the Broncos. Like as a, they're a fun organization. They got a yeah. lot of fun young players. Like this is, this is just um, a, a very me, weird decision. What do you think it question. means? Okay, Let me ask you a question really quick. If you're at pick nine, and let's say you internally have a second round grade on Justin Field, because this is basically what happened, right? Like we can infer all we want, but the fact is, is at pick nine, they had a they did not have a that a high enough grade on Justin Fields to take him, right? We can agree or disagree with all of that, right? But let's assume that that's what their internal say. What do you do? Uh, I would take, uh, I would take either Mac, I would take Mac Jones. I mean, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's, 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 um, people, uh, have a hard time comparing how good a player is to how valuable a player is. And I would go so far as to say this, I don't know what grade they had on Justin Fields. Um, to say it was a second round grade, I think would, 
I would have some serious questions about the evaluation process. Yeah. Um, but if you're considering t- starting Teddy Bridgewater, then you're in the market for a rookie quarterback. That's how that works. And I think Patrick Sertan could be great. I mean, he's looked great so far, but um, Patrick Sertan being great and you having no quarterback means Patrick Sertan is not winning a Super Bowl with Denver. Because yeah. this, this comes back to my evaluators and decision makers thing, right? I know people who have like a third round grade on Justin Fields. The problem is, is there is a 0% chance, even if, and I respect this person's opinion, but there's a 0% chance that if I have a healthy collection of evaluators and decision makers, and some of those evaluators are external, like market-based, right? Because that's how you end up with Alex Leatherwood at freaking 19 is when you don't consider, right? All the, in my opinion, I think that that's where it goes wrong, right? Where it, where it's, if every single person in that building had, it, well, sorry, if the average evaluation of Justin Fields in that building meant don't take him at nine, I think you got to scrap the process, right? Like, I think you got to start over. And otherwise, but I can see a situation where like, there are dissenting opinions there, but then the decision maker just, you know, thumb on the scale, we're going to take a corner, right? I, in my opinion, if, because this, is this again, gets back to that discussion. If you don't believe that Justin Fields is worth that pick, there is a 0% chance you take somebody else at that pick. You do, you, I, and, and like, I understand that you can't trade all the time. I understand that not everybody wants to trade, but the freaking Eagles traded up to 11 to take Devontae Smith, two picks. There is a market to trade that pick, even if it's not for Fields himself, right? I, that's what I do, right? Because otherwise, otherwise you just, you just are, the opportunity cost is so immense to take a corner at nine, especially when you spent the offseason acquiring Kyle Fuller and Ronald Darby to go with an already pretty decent secondary. I tend to agree. I actually agree 100%. Let's close this out with a little college football on the slate this week, uh, this weekend. Um, PFF obviously has you covered there. If you go to pff.com, get yourself a subscription, you'll be able to um, see all the the projections and predictions against the spread, total, money line. Um, You can read some great content. Also, by the way, might be some great player props opportunities coming up. Just saying. Um, College bets that you would advise help me out help a brother out this yeah. weekend you know i i took this before the number like you know illinois plus eight and a half i think was something we talked about on the show mm-hmm. like months ago yes. it's now seven. seven um i still think you want to take illinois um but if i bet this i might bet three and a half first half mm-hmm. you know um because you get the you get underneath a field goal there first half you know, could get home there. Illinois at home, Nebraska kind of a fledgling. You know, Nebraska is kind of a dysfunctional. This just uh, feels like it feels like a Nebraska shits the bed situation. Yeah, not, I mean, you know? we're talking about a team that lost to Troy. Um, I'm, you know, I'm taking I'm taking our fighting Illini <laughs> two to one on the money line. Yes, um, uh, Connecticut is getting 27 and a half points in large part because they against Fresno State in large part because they didn't play last year. Um, that seems a little high to me. Um, 
UCLA is laying now 18. It was 17. I think I said UCLA minus 17 on the show a couple weeks ago. Um, the total on that game 68. I think that's really high. I think the um, Hawaii's played week zero a number of times, and they've almost always gone over their total in that game. I, I think there's a humongous difference here, which is this game is being played at 3.30 Eastern on the mainland and not like 10 to Eastern in Hawaii, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I, I so I think under is probably the right play there. It started at 70 and a half. We're now at 68. So uh, you might want to grab it quickly, but under is, is to me, the play. Um, Before New it Mexico, crosses that... Uh... Across that the key, key, key number, number of 69. Of 69. <laughs> um, UTEP, New Mexico State, it's anywhere from 10 and a half to nine and a half. Um, I don't think UTEP's good enough to be laying that many points, but New Mexico State, um, weirdly, is the one team in FBS that played games in the spring against FCS opponents. Uh, and then there's a weird one. This is not on PFF Green Line, um, but it is Southern Utah as an FCS team is getting 22. 21, depending on where you look. If you can find San Jose State laying 21, uh, that is a big favorite I would advise to bet. You're all set. You're good to go. We've got preseason games as well this weekend. We continued the um, the teasers with the dogs and the unders. Um, and it has been great. And even, even on Monday night where we needed C.J. Beathard to get us through with the um, the underdog and under teaser, I think it, it teased out to what was it um, – uh, it was 10 and 46, 10, 10 and 46. Yeah. So, um, Trevor Lawrence dead to me, Gardner Minshew dead to me, CJ Beathard. Thank God. Great um, teaser by the way, because it did not cover the under, right. It covered the mm -hmm. teased under, but not the actual under, um, Beathard actually covered the, the full game spread of a plus four, um, but not the under there. So that was Talk a good about teaser. A sweat. Talk yeah. about a sweat by the way. Um, so uh, enjoy that. Make sure you get over to PFF. Use promo code KICKOFF30. We will see you, by the way, on Sunday. We're back at it. We are in studio late night after Sunday night football. Falcons, Browns. Buddy, I am excited. Let's go. Peace out. Love y'all.